Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Occasionally we'll watch a uh, commercial that, uh, uh, that the announcer will tell you about an amazing product. You know the commercial, right? And uh, that you can get for this amazingly low price. And, uh, and then they go on to say, but that's not all. Uh, you know, if you will, um, if you'll call now, they'll double that offer. And then, you know, when you're, you know, the phone is in your hand, right? You're ready to make that call. And, and they say, but that's not all. Wait, there's more. You can hardly imagine there could be anything greater. But then they're going to tell you that if you call immediately, operators are standing by, that they will even um, send you another amazing gift. Well, that's sort of what Paul is doing in this passage in Romans chapter 5. But it's, first of all, it's true, and hopefully you haven't been caught by any of those, those commercials. Um, it's true, and then it's infinitely greater because it's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this passage, uh, Paul is, is sharing, again, the blessings that come to us because of what Christ has accomplished for us at the cross. And in verse 3, he'll use that phrase, and not only that. And again, in verse 9, he'll say, much more than. And again, in verse 11, and not only that. And so we're going to see some of these wonderful blessings that come to us because of what Christ has accomplished for us at the cross. So with your Bibles open there to Romans chapter 5, I want to invite you one more time to stand with me, if you will, if you're able, as we read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to be reading from the New King James translation. You can look along there in your copy of the Word of God. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And from this passage today, I want to bring a, a message as we look together at these wonderful truths concerning of what Christ has accomplished for us at the cross. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, thank you 
for this wonderful time of worship. We celebrate today, Lord, the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that on that cross, as your word tells us, you became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in you. We thank you, as this passage tells us, that you, you demonstrate your love toward us in that while we were yet still sinners, God-haters, you sent Jesus to die for us. Christ died for us in our behalf. And Father, we thank you that by your grace, Lord, we are among those who've had the privilege of hearing this wonderful gospel. Yet we know there are millions and billions of people yet who have not heard the precious name of Jesus. And some even in our own community who may have heard of Jesus but don't really understand the gospel and what that means for them. And Lord, we have the privilege of, of not only getting in on the, the joy of reconciliation, we have the privilege of being ministers, ambassadors of this reconciliation. So thank you for that. God, transform our hearts today. May we worship you as we look at this passage together and, and see what we, what we got in on when, when by your grace we got in to Christ. Lord, speak to us, Lord. Change us today. And Lord, again, for those in our midst who've never experienced this reconciliation, will you by your Spirit awaken their heart to their need for Christ? And would you be glorified by bringing people into your family, into your fold today. is our prayer in Jesus' name, and for his glory we pray. All God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans just laying the doctrinal foundation uh, before he begins the, the practical section, as we've seen in Romans, in, in, in Romans uh, ch chapters 12 to 16. But even in those 11 chapters where he deals with those wonderful doctrines of the Word of God, uh, as we see even in this passage, he also begins to share with us, by the Spirit of God, the practical implications of those doctrines that he sets forth. So here in chapter 5, uh, we, we come to, again, a doctrinal section, but also a very practical section where he shares some wonderful blessings that flow out of uh, the doctrine of the justification by faith in Christ alone. And he began those back in chapter 3, uh, 19, and, and moving through chapter 4, 25, the previous chapter. And so that's why we begin chapter 5, verse 1 with uh, therefore. That's what the therefore is there for. And so I want you to, to look with me today at, at nine blessings which come to us by what Christ accomplished at the cross. I heard some of you gasp when I said nine, all right? Um, we won't be here all day, uh, so we'll have to move quickly. So buckle your pew belt as we look at these nine blessings that come to us. And by the way, there were ten, but I combined some of them, uh, that come to us because of what Christ accomplished at the cross. First of all, because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, we have been justified by faith. We have been justified by faith. Uh, the word justified here in the Greek is, is an aorist participle, which literally means having been justified or literally having been declared righteous because that's the, what, what the word justified means, to be declared righteous. It's a legal term in which a, a, a judge declares one righteous. And in this case, the judge is God. In Romans 3.24, Scripture tells us that we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption 
that is in Christ Jesus. Now, to justify us by being declared righteous, God does not just merely set aside the righteous demands of the law. You see, God requires perfect righteousness. He doesn't just ignore those or set those aside. In fact, the only way personally that anyone in the world can can meet those righteous demands in and of ourselves, the only way is by spending eternity in hell, by being cast into hell forever and ever. That's the only way we can reach, that we can meet those righteous demands. Well, praise God, that is where the Lord Jesus comes in because Jesus met those demands fully on the cross. And in verse 9, the, this passage uh, uh, tells us again that it was that we are justified, we've been justified by His blood. And so the, through the precious blood of Jesus, He met those demands completely and totally. And, and so again, the, the issue is then how do we, uh, what Jesus did for us, how does His meeting those righteous demands, how is that applied in our lives? And the Bible tells us it is through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we hear the gospel, we hear this good news about what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross, and we again recognize our need for Christ by the work of His Spirit, by hearing the Word of God. Faith comes, and the Bible says we turn from our sin, we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible says at that instant, God then declares us righteous. He declares us righteous, not in ourselves, but in the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says not only that Christ comes to live in us, but God puts us in Christ. And so you know how God sees us today? If, you have, if you've experienced this thing we call being born again, this new birth, being saved, receiving Christ as Lord, being converted to the various words that the Bible used to describe this experience, the Bible says today that God sees you in Christ. He no longer sees your sin. He sees you in Christ. And He sees the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, by, because of the, what Christ accomplished for us at the cross, we have been justified by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21 describes it when Paul said, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we have become the righteousness of God. So I ask you today, have you been declared righteous? If you have come to know Christ today, if Jesus is your Lord, if you have received Christ through repentance and faith in Christ, you have been declared righteous. If not, I want to pray that today that God will awaken your heart to show you your need for Christ so that you will repent and turn to Him. But again, because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, we have been justified by faith. Secondly, because of what Christ accomplished for us at the cross, we see in the next part of this verse, we have peace with God. Because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, we have peace with God. And again, I want to remind you, the Bible speaks of a peace of God and a peace with God. Philippians 4 talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding, all human comprehension that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But that's not the peace being referred to here. This is not the peace of God. This is peace with God. You see, peace that is described here, it's not a feeling. It's a fact. It is a fact. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a relationship between you and God. It's peace between you and God. Uh, you see, before we came to Christ, if you're a child of God today, before you come to Christ, the Bible says you are an enemy of God. You're an enmity 
with God. And, and uh, again, you're deserving of hell. But the Bible says that when you repent of, of your sin, place your faith and trust in Christ, again, we said, He declares you righteous, and you are no longer condemned. You are no longer an enemy of Christ, but you become friends forever. The Lord Jesus is the source uh, and agent of this peace relationship. He describes that in Ephesians 2.14. Uh, but also, I want to read to you Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And it's not in, on the screen there or in your notes there. Colossians 1.20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you see, we live in the light of this peace. You know, there's a tendency in our flesh uh, to, to not receive this. Uh, and this passage describes how we are to receive this and to get in on it, to appropriate it, to live it out. How do we live and uh, in, in not really appropriate the peace with God that we have? Well, you see, we, in God's eyes, we have peace with Christ, but many times as believers, we're not appropriating that. And therefore, we do that as we live under condemnation. Our flesh and the enemy, of course, uh, wants to condemn us. And our old flesh still tries to remind us of what we used to be, of who we used to be, of who we used to be in, in Adam. And our flesh wants to keep us in that, in that way and beat down instead of enjoying our peace with God. And, and so uh, when we do not appropriate that and live in a spirit of condemnation, then again, we're not, we're not living out and enjoying that peace with God that, that God wants us to have. And on the other hand, when we treat sin lightly as a believer, when we treat like it's no big deal, like, oh, well, you can always get forgiveness, you know, after all, we're all sinners. We're all going to sin. When you have that attitude about sin, once again, you're not living, uh, living out the peace with God that the Lord wants you to experience as a child of God. So today I want to ask you, are, are, have you experienced peace with God? You know, most people want to have peace, right? They want to have peace within. I mean, people live in turmoil and they're torn up inside and, and because their world's falling in around them. And so they try so hard to, to, to strive for peace within. Dear friend, I want to tell you today, if that's the, the battle you're in right now, stop striving for peace. You'll never know the peace of God until you first know peace with God. And that comes, again, through repentance and faith, surrendering your life to Jesus as Lord. When you know peace with God, then you can begin to enjoy the peace of God that Philippians 4, 7 describes. But thirdly, I want you to see, because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, we are fully accepted by God. We are fully accepted by God. Notice in uh, the first part there of, of uh, verse uh, number 2, once again, he says, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The word access means to approach, and it implies the introduction before the throne of a king. And so I use this word uh, to describe this, the fact that we are fully accepted by God. The word grace here uh, means uh, favor. It, it speaks of favor. And the word stand, to stand in grace, speaks of our position, where we stand in our relationship with God. The verb form here is a, is a perfect, tent, perfect tense, which means it is a permanent position. 
You see, we, uh, we are kind of known, and I know you, you guys come from First Baptist Stephenville, and, and so we, uh, uh, I don't know how they are in Texas, but I know around here, they, when you tell somebody you're Baptist, they'll say, oh yeah, I know about y'all. Y'all are those people that believe in once saved, always saved, right? Well, you know, we believe what the Bible says, and it's not because of who we are, and that doesn't give us a license to sin, but the Bible teaches us that when we are in Christ, we have a permanent position. We continuously, from now on to all eternity, stand, not because of what we've done, but we stand in a place of favor because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, because of his finished work. We now are fully accepted by God. And when we receive Jesus, uh, turning from sin and trusting in Christ, believing that he died and rose again, the Bible says we are fully accepted by him because, not of ourselves, but once again, because of Christ's righteousness. Ephesians 1, 6, New King James translates it this way, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Think about that for a moment. Let that just seep into your soul today that you are accepted in Christ. If I were to ask you today, how accepted are you today in God, to God? What would you say on a scale of one to ten? Well, some days, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm very accepted. I don't always do what I ought to do. I miss my quiet time, you know. I lose my temper. Well, how accepted are you, friend, on a scale of one to ten? Ten being perfect, you're ten because you are accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees you in Christ. He accepts you in Christ. You're just accepted as Jesus is, not because of yourself, but because you are in Christ. Rejoice in that today. That is a place of favor. That is a wonderful place of standing in Christ, and it's yours as a child of God because of what Christ accomplished in the cross. You know, uh, prior to the, the cross, of course, entrance into the Holy of Holies was forbidden. Only the pr high priest could enter there once a year, only on the Day of Atonement. They would actually tie a rope to his leg in case he died while he was in there so they could drag him out. He couldn't enter in, and, and he would only go there, uh, you know, again to, to offer that sacrifice. But on the day the Lord Jesus died for us, one of the things supernaturally that happened was that veil uh, that separated the Holy of Holies from the uh, people to be able to enter was, was rent in two, torn in two, so that now through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, we can enter in. And we are in a place of favor. We stand there in a place of favor because we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's a reason for rejoicing. He describes in this passage how we exult or how we rejoice or how we praise. What a reason to praise God because we're fully accepted by him. Number four, because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, we joyfully anticipate being in his presence forever. We joyfully anticipate being in his presence forever. What a beautiful song that Jonathan is teaching us this morning. And what a beautiful message. It described this about, again, being in God's presence forever. And, the, and he goes on to describe that uh, again here in, in, in verse 2 when he says, and, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We talked about the peace with God, which takes care of our past. We talk about access with God that takes care of our present. But hope in God takes care and relates to our future. Dear friend, if you're a child of God, your future is secure. 
because you're in Christ. And you can go ahead and rejoice. And again, this word for rejoice uh, speaks of boasting. It has the idea of, of celebrating, of boasting. Not in and of ourselves, not in pride, but my goodness, the reason we boast, the reason we rejoice is because we know what we deserve. Amen? We know we're hell-deserving sinners and always will be. But by the grace of God, we have, and the word hope, by the way, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm not real sure. Are y'all going, to, are y'all going to, uh, to, to Memphis? Well, I hope so. Are y'all going to go to the pyramid? Well, we kind of hope so. Well, no, you know, uh, you know so when you're in Christ. You know that heaven is your home. You know that you're in Christ. And, and you know that you have confidence that you're going to see him. The word hope means confident expectation, not a maybe so. That one day we will share in his glory and we will be glorified in our glorifying bodies. And again, that's what he's describing in this passage. So we joyfully anticipate being in his presence forever. This hope, again, has powerful impact on our lives. It makes a difference in the way we live. You know, some people say, oh, yeah, you, you Christians, y'all are just pie in the sky by and by. You know, all y'all think about is, is heaven. Well, you know what? It makes a difference in the way we live down here. We're living and looking for the, the, the confident expectation of our Lord's return. We know we're going to be with. In fact, John described it in 1 John 3, 2 and 3 about what a difference it makes. He said, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, we know, by the way, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, this confident expectation, purifies himself as he is pure. Friend, if you're living and looking every day for the blessed hope of our Lord's return, and by the way, it could be before the end of this service. You guys may not make it back to Texas. You know that? We may be home together. Uh, you know, and it'll be forever. And, and if you have this, he said, you have this hope in yourself. It, it makes a difference. It helps purify you to live looking like Jesus may come today wanting to share the gospel, wanting to make disciples of people everywhere we go because we don't know that we're going to get another opportunity to do that. Live that way. And again, we, we, we joyfully anticipate being in His presence forever. But number five, because of what Christ has accomplished at the cross, we have joyful confidence in our suffering. We have joyful confidence in our suffering. That's what he's describing beginning there in, in verse number 3, uh, going through uh, ch- verse 5 and, and A. He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint. So again, the, the, this word for tribulations is not just common day problems. It's not just the flat tire and the, uh, the broken refrigerator, but it's suffering for the sake of our Lord. By the way, God has a lot to say about that too. But here, he's talking here about, about our tribulation in him, our suffering in, in, for Christ's sake. Uh, he says that, notice the sequence here, tribulations require uh, perseverance or endurance. That produces proven character. By the way, this, this, is used of te- this word's used of testing metals like gold and silver to, to determine their and demonstrate their purity. And that produces hope. Again, that produces that confident expectations of the glory of God, which will never 
disappoint us or never put us to shame, as one translation says. In other words, you're not going to be disappointed, folks. My boys used to say, Daddy, what, what's heaven going to be like? Are we going to be just up there all the time, worshiping all the time? I said, well, we know what the Bible says about it. We could talk about that. And there's a lot the Bible does say. A lot the Bible doesn't say. But I want to promise you one thing I can be sure of, and you can be sure of. You're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be let down. You're not, it's going to be far beyond your wildest imagination. It's going to be glorious. And again, tribulation helps prepare us. And all of that, you say, what does that have to do? Yes, that's related, again, to what Christ has accomplished for us. And God's in control of that. And God is working that. In fact, James talks about how God puts to work our trials. See, everybody has problems, amen? Lost people have problems. People who don't know Jesus, those who do know Jesus, we all do. The wonderful thing about being a child of God is that God puts our problems to work for us. He's using them for good. He's using them uh, to make us more like Christ. That's what Romans 28 to 30 talks about, how God is working all that together for good and, and for His purpose to conform us to the image of Christ. And, uh, and, and James 1, 2 and 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, we like the promise of Romans 8, 28 to 30, right? That God works it all together for good. We like the promise, but let's all be honest about it. Sometimes we don't like the process, right? Sometimes the process is kind of tough, but that's where we have to claim the promise and believe the promise and believe God's word is true and that he's working this to make us more like Christ and to demonstrate his life in us and through us. So I ask you today, yes, we all have problems, but are your problems working for you? Are they working for you to conform you to the image of Christ? Are you cooperating with God in the midst of those things? Because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, you can. But then number six, we are assured of, because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, we are assured of God's love by His indwelling Spirit. His indwelling spirit. We are assured of God's love by His indwelling spirit. And this passage, beginning there in the second part of verse 5 and through verse 8, uh, the, the language indicates that God's love has, has been and keeps on being poured out in our hearts. He said, God, uh, he, he says uh, again in, in verse 5 that the love of, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, and again, this happened, this love being poured out in our hearts happened the moment we repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ uh, and appropriated the work of the cross and His resurrection. The Holy Spirit seals us for the day of, of redemption, but also He is now the indwelling Spirit. This is certainly one of the blessed benefits of the, what Christ accomplished. We now have the Holy Spirit living in us, dwelling in us, and assuring us, and even reminding us that we are His children. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And He shows us and He reminds us, especially when we go through what we just talked about in that last couple of verses about the tribulations, and we're going through those difficult times in our life and those persecutions in our lives, then the Spirit of God within us just reminds us 
that we're God's child. He reminds us that he loves us and that he's working this together for good and and that one day the race will be over and we'll be in his presence. So again, we are assured, and that's one of the wonderful blessings and benefits of what Christ accomplished is the assurance of God's love by his indwelling Holy Spirit. But, But notice some of the ways in which he describes his love, beginning there in the depths of his love in verse six. He says, for when we were without without strength. And uh, he's describing here that which was weakless, that which was powerless. He's describing what we were like before we came to Christ. We had no strength to obey God. We were powerless to honor God, to love God. We had no strength. In fact, we were still in our sin. We had no defense. In fact, we were already condemned to hell, ready to be cast into the eternal flames of hell. But then Scripture, notice what he said, uh, in due time, uh, your translation may say, at the right time, just at the perfect time, the Bible says God sent forth his Son, and Christ died for the ungodly. Hey, that's me. Is that you? He died for the ungodly. That's me. The Lord Jesus died for me. And then notice verses 7 and 8. He goes on. And he said, for scarcely for a righteous man will, will one die, yet perhaps for a good man will someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, you know, it's, uh, he's describing here, you know, we were, again, we were, uh, we were defenseless. We were uh, deserving of hell. But not only that, like that thief on the cross who would mock him, like, the, like Saul of Tarsus, we were persecuting his church. We were kicking against the goads, if you will, as he describes him there in the book of Acts. We were defiant against God at that very moment when we were our most wicked and defiant and rebellious against God. He sent the Lord Jesus, and Jesus died for us. He became sin for us and showed his greatest love for us at that very moment by loving us with a cross. So dear friend, if you're tempted to doubt the love of God, many people will challenge us when we're going through those tough times. Many people will look at the tough things in life and the wicked world in which we live, and they'll question, is there really a God when when the world is such a bad place, when people do such wicked things? God allows these things to happen. Dear friend, the way we answer that question is with the cross. Look at the cross. That's how God demonstrated his love for a sinful world, is that he would be willing to leave heaven, the Lord Jesus, and come to this wicked, dirty world and lay down his life for us on a cross so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be reconciled, so that we might have a relationship with him. So again, if you're tempted to doubt God's love, go back and let the Holy Spirit remind you of how much God loves you. But number seven, Because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, we are delivered from God's wrath. We are delivered from God's wrath. Here in verse verse 9, again, he says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through 
him. It's like saying once again, you think that was good? Listen to this. It gets even better because of what he accomplished at the cross through his blood shed for us. That moment he declared us righteous, we never again will be condemned. We never again will experience the wrath of God. Where is the wrath of God demonstrated? How serious is sin? It's demonstrated a terrible place called hell. In a terrible place that hell is real and it's forever and it's, it's more horrible. If heaven is more wonderful than you can ha- imagine, heaven is more horrible than you can ever imagine. And dear friend, the Bible says every one of us apart from Christ deserve that. And yet on the cross, the Bible tells us that all the wrath of God against sin, His holy anger against sin was poured out on Jesus. How serious is sin? It is so serious that God would send His precious Son, the Lord Jesus, perfect and sinless. And on that cross, He would pour out all of His wrath, all of my hell debt, all of your hell debt. Imagine a wrath, a flood of wrath higher than you can see and wider than you can imagine. And all of that flood coming down upon the Lord Jesus on the cross. That's exactly what happened on the cross. And I know several years ago, um, Mel Gibson tried to depict the horrors of the cross, and it did a pretty good job from Hollywood's perspective in trying to do that. But dear friend, no one can really depict the horror of the cross because it wasn't just the physical suffering. As horrible as that was, the worst thing about the cross was what Jesus, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God from all eternity past, who knew no sin at that moment, becoming sin, and all of my sin and yours poured out upon the Lord Jesus. And then on top of that, all the wrath of God, all of my hell, all of your hell, and that of the world poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how much God loves us. And that's what Jesus did for us. And praise God, dear friend, because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross, we never have to know that. We never have to experience that. And as a child of God, I don't want my neighbor to experience that. Do you? I don't want my family members to have to experience the wrath of God. I don't want anyone in Millington or or Memphis or Shelby County or the United States or Indonesia or Costa Rica or Nicaragua or anywhere in the world. I don't want that. And the Bible says God doesn't either. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And that's where we come in, that we have the privilege and joy of telling them about the love of God. Dear friend, Jesus said in John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. That moment. But he said, whoever does not obey the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friend, you're in one of two places today. You're in one of two places. Either the wrath of God is not on you and it never will be, ever. Because Jesus took all your wrath, all of the wrath of God that was, would have been, was deserved by you was poured out on Jesus. Or because you have not believed, because you have not repented, because you have not trusted and surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord, the wrath of God remains on you. Oh, dear friend, that's why we plead with you today to repent, to turn from your sin, turn to Jesus, surrender to Him as Lord. Because of what Christ Accomplished at the cross, number eight, we are preserved by his resurrection life. 
we are preserved by His resurrection life. You see, this, this series, again, is, is about the uh, living in the power of His cross and His resurrection, and we'll see more of that next week. But verse 10 gives us a glimpse there. It says, for, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. The emphasis up to now has been on, on his death, but this verse speaks of his resurrection life. You see, because without the resurrection, there could be no life. And again, he's saying if, if he delivered us from wrath when we were enemies and, and now reconciled with him, how much more will he deliver us now that we are his children? Paul said in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is our life appears. You see, when we repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ, Jesus comes to live in us. And the reason we're no longer dead in our trespasses and sin is not because we started living such a good life. No, it's because now He's our life. He comes to take up residence in us and He now becomes our very life. And 1 John 5, 12 says, whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, when Jesus takes up residence in your life, that which was dead now becomes alive. Your spirit was dead, but your spirit comes alive because Jesus is your life. He is the resurrection and life, and we now are indwelt by His resurrection life. So again, not only uh, if you, you're in one of two places, uh, either with the wrath of God on you or not, but you're also in one of two places here as well, friend. You're either dead or you're alive. You're either dead or you're alive. I didn't say you're either a church member or not a church member, because you see there's some dead church members. There's church members who've never repented of their sin. They've been baptized or they went through the waters of baptistry. Their names are on the roll, uh, you know, but they've never received life. They're still dead in their trespasses and sin. But dear friend, praise God, if Jesus is your Lord today because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, you're preserved for all eternity by His resurrection life. Can you say today, Christ is my life? If not, I pray that before we leave here today, you can. But number nine and finally, because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, we rejoice in our reconciliation with God. We rejoice in our reconciliation with God. Notice as he closes out there in verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Again, he uses that unusual word, Jonathan was talking about words that are challenging in our language to fully translate. Uh, the idea uh, that's translated sometimes exult, but that's not a word that we very often use. Uh, but it's a combination of rejoicing, something we're excited about, uh, something we are thrilled about and worshiping God over, but it's also something we brag about, we boast about. In other words, we want to tell everybody about it. We, re we rejoice and, and, and what do we rejoice in? We rejoice in our reconciliation with God through Christ, that we were enemies, hell-bound, deserving of, of hell for all eternity. But Jesus, in His grace, took our place. He became our sinless substitute through His atonement on the cross for us. God took that initiative to send Jesus to be the peacemaker so that we could be transformed from enemies to His friends for all eternity. And notice it's a noun here, reconciliation. It's a gift, a gift that we receive, not something we earn, not something we deserve by, by joining a church or going through a class or going through baptism or trying to live a good life. It's a gift we receive when we receive Christ. 
and something we get to enjoy, and then something because we're so grateful that we want to share with others everywhere we go. In fact, Paul described it in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. He says that, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is a benefit that didn't, didn't even mention in this passage, that we become ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. And we're going around imploring people. That's why this team came from Stephenville this week, to implore people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. Become God's friend as you repent of your sin. Place your faith in Christ. Surrender to Him as Lord. You can become His child and enjoy all these benefits that we've described. And, and there are more besides in this wonderful passage. During the Revolutionary War, there was a, a, a pastor, a faithful pastor by the name of Peter Miller. And near Peter Miller lived a, a man that was, uh, uh, was really a God-hater and uh, and he didn't like Peter Miller, and he persecuted him and other believers and extremely and hated them in every way possible. And, uh, but it, it, as it happened, uh, this fellow, this neighbor, uh, was, was, found, uh, was tried and found guilty of treason and was sentenced to be hanged. Well, Peter Miller heard about it, and uh, he set out on foot to go to General George Washington and to appeal to him on behalf of this neighbor of his, that he might not be put to death. I'm sure he knew that, man, he's lost, and he doesn't want, to go, want him to go to hell. So he went to General Washington, and he appealed to him on his behalf. And, and after hearing about it, General Washington said, I, you know, I'm sorry, I cannot pardon your friend. And Peter Miller said, my friend? <laughs> he's not my friend. He's my worst enemy. And General Washington said, oh. Well, that, that puts everything in a different light. He said, on that basis then, he, he said, wait a minute, he said, do you mean that you walked 60 miles to come and, and to plead on behalf of the life of this man that is your enemy? He said, yes. He said, again, that's different. He said, on that behalf, on that basis, I'll pardon this man. So then Peter Miller, with, with that document in hand, made his way to the place as quickly as possible where this man was about to be put to death, to be hanged. He made his way there. And just as he arrived, they were leading this man out to the gallows to be hanged. The neighbor saw Peter Miller coming, and he said, there's old Peter Miller. He's probably coming to enjoy some revenge today as he sees me hanged. But no, instead, he stepped up and brought a pardon signed by General George Washington to pardon him that day. You see, dear friend, we were God's enemies, the Bible says. Far worse than that man. We're God's enemies, deserving of death, deserving of hell. But God in His grace sent the Lord Jesus who came to this dirty, sinful world and He went to a wicked cross as a sinless Savior, the Son of God, and He died for us, not merely to pardon us, but even to justify us to declare us righteous in, righteous in His very righteousness. And as we said today, based on this passage, that is a gift of God, a gift that you can receive today 
by turning from your sin and placing your faith in Jesus as your Lord. And that's our prayer for you this day. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.